Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albury, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we are talking about the cookbooks that have been digitized and put on the Lackawanna Valley Digital Archives, which is part of an ongoing project that the Scranton Public Library is a part of and is powered through PA Forward. We are here today with Jason. Hi, thanks. Yeah, you probably have seen Jason in the tech table. Up in reference, he is one of the members of our IT staff. So it is going into the holiday season where there's Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all of the different holidays that fall in the November, December range. So I thought it would be fun to do the cookbooks so people have some ideas of possibly old-fashioned, maybe slightly strange recipes that they can try out and give to their families to see their reactions. <laughs> I believe most of the ones that all of us did were relatively normal. Um, I did open it up to the general staff to have as much input and testing of the recipes as we could. This partially came out of, I believe it was two years ago now, the reference department did a series of recipes as Instagram posts. So if you scroll back on our Instagram feed, you can see all of them. I know one of my coworkers in reference always talks about a zucchini casserole she made and her family requests it now. So you can really find hidden gems and hidden comfort foods within the cookbooks that are digitized. Did you have thoughts on the cookbooks in general? Sure, yeah, I did enjoy taking a look through them. Um, And I did notice there's quite a big selection. Um, The two ones that I took some time to go through on, one was from the year 2000, one was from the year 1960. So we have a pretty wide collection of them and um, there are a lot of interesting things in them Um, I know I kind of tended to look towards you know in the holidays usually I think about trying new dessert recipes things like that Um, so I kind of look towards those but there were some really interesting things in there even just kind of good basic old-fashioned recipes (laughs) that if you're looking kind of for things maybe you're a new cook or maybe you're just looking for some more confidence that it might be interesting to take a look through and see um i know one thing i did see there was just um a lot of recipes like i'm thinking of one i saw that was just for like chicken parmesan which is a a pretty basic classic dish and it was just a good resource it didn't really have um what we'd expect in a cookbook like measurements and things it was just kind of a resource where it said here are the ingredients here's how to assemble it Um, so i think that's a good thing to see. But then, like Alyssa said also, there are so many kind of um, windows into the past in mm-hmm. these cookbooks that are interesting to see, too. Yeah, there's entire sections of, like, jello molds. Right. And where you put, like, the tuna and carrots and, like, mm-hmm. lime jello. Um, and those types, too. So if you are interested in old-fashioned 1950s jello mold recipes, definitely the place to look. Right, aspects and all of that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, one thing I saw too, and I, I took note of a couple little things, some very odd things like, um, of course, back in kind of the 50s and the 60s, like Alyssa said, they have these jello molds, a lot of kind of meatloafs and things mm-hmm. too. One that I took note of because I thought it was very interesting to see a vegetarian dish in a cookbook from the 60s. And they called it a mock chicken loaf. And it had 
oatmeal and cottage cheese in it, and that was kind of the basis of it. So I thought that was interesting too, just to think that, even to think that they were considerate of a vegetarian option. Of course, we've come a long way from there, mm-hmm. but it's a good kind of thing to track and see. Yeah, I feel like today it would be more along the lines of tofu or like jackfruit in that sort of right. texture food to go into a vegetarian meatloaf. Right. Yeah, and even cottage cheese. Cottage cheese. Yeah, it was very interesting. And even thinking about like today, we are so you know people who are vegetarian and vegan. Um, they eat a lot of grains. They eat a lot of like you said, soy-based mm-hmm. products. So I thought it was just interesting to see you know that they were considerate of that in a way, but it was an odd uh, choice of ingredients. Yes, I did actually wind up making a vegetarian recipe for one of the recipes that I chose out of them. And it was zucchini soup. It's the only savory dinner type meal I made. Um, It was very good. It was a bunch of vegetables, zucchinis, potatoes, tomato paste, some celery, carrots, everything in that realm essentially went into the soup. Um, It also had some Parmesan cheese in it. So if you are vegan, you could just take the Parmesan cheese out. I don't think it would change much. Um, It was very tomato-y because you use the straight tomato puree. I actually watered it down for myself because it was slightly too much. But it was very good. The potatoes were a highlight. I'm also just a potato person. I love potatoes. (laughs) So it was super easy to make you just threw everything all at once into a pot and let it simmer for an hour it made a ton i have the recipe and i still had enough for dinner that night i took some for lunch i gave some to my mom for her to have for lunch and then we still had leftovers so i think she ate it for the next like three days i also if you are interested in making the zucchini soup it is found in the celebration of food And I would suggest buying all of your vegetables fresh. I forgot to grab carrots and they just kind of got really mushy because I used the generic like canned carrots. (laughs) Another good option for that too might be, um, you know, because squash is such a good seasonal ingredient. And Mm -hmm. that sounds kind of like a, almost like a minestrone recipe. Yeah. A little bit. But, um, you know, if you wanted to adjust it a little bit, maybe take some of the tomatoes out. You could even mm-hmm. try it with acorn squash or butternut squash, since zucchini is such a summer ingredient. Yeah. So you could always, you know, I think we do have a lot of nice farmer's markets and local vegetables around. So if you wanted to use stuff that was in season that um, kind of goes with the festive season, that might be something to try too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to the Covenant Cookie Cookbook. And I tried three different things from there. So first were banana drop cookies. I feel like you always hear about bananas in like cakes or breads. So I saw them and I was like, I gotta try them. They were fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) The cookie itself did have more of a cakey consistency, but the recipe was super easy to follow. You just throw them in the oven for 10 minutes I did put the dough, once it was all mixed together, in the fridge just to firm it up Mm -hmm. some. And then I like the ones that have the walnuts in them better. Um, I made two different versions, one without walnuts, one with. Um, There were an optional ingredient in the ingredient list. And then they had frosting to go with it, which was banana frosting. 
And so that was essentially you just mash up a banana, put some powdered sugar, some vanilla. It was the favorite of the entire household when I made those out of everything I made. The frosting was great. So if you like banana baked goods, 100% check this out. (laughs) It sounds really interesting. And it's, Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of times people just end up with bananas in the freezer. Um, So this would be a good different way to use it. And it sounds like a good on the, like banana bread is not an on the go Mm -hmm. thing all the time. This sounds like a good alternative. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Or like make it for a party. And then. Sure. Yeah. Because I feel like once you make banana bread, you're always slicing it. But with the cookies, they're completely put them themselves. Mm-hmm. And I like banana bread with chocolate chips. I'm sure you could put chocolate chips in there. Oh, 100%. And it would be even better, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I also did lemon snow bars, which were also from the Covenant Cookie Cookbook. They were okay. There was way too much crust. So if you make them, cut the crust in half. Just don't make as much as it says. And make sure it's also completely flat, like use one of the measuring cups or something to make sure it's absolutely flat. I just like pressed it down with my hands and so had all sorts of ridges and valleys and it wasn't consistent. It also is strange because the lemon sugar mixture that it has you make is so liquidy that when I poured it in, I was like, I have no idea if this is going to come out solid. It might just be soup, but it did. I also used farm fresh eggs, so they were very orange, and it made it look orange. So be aware of that if you're using fresh (laughs) eggs. Um, If you know somebody with chickens and you just get your eggs from there. (laughs) And I learned from it that uh, one lemon has about three tablespoons of lemon juice. I sat there Googling that, so a tip if you do try to make Mm -hmm. these. Also, let them completely cool, because if not... It will be runny. Right. That sounds... And it was... So this was more like a lemon bar. Mm-hmm. But it... Yeah. And that... I have that problem too. I really like lemon desserts. I actually made a lemon dessert also. But sometimes the crust is really tricky. Um, yeah. And I always... Every time I make them, I try a little bit of a different recipe to see how the crust comes out. Mm-hmm. So that's something to think about. Yes. And the last recipe that I made was blonde brownies from the cookie cookbook still again these were also a hit they were so easy to make it's kind of been banned from my household because we ate it all in like two days (laughs) so (laughs) it's kind of been banned and never make it again because everyone will just eat it instantly but you literally just mix all the ingredients together throw it in a pan and bake it about the recommended time that it says in the recipe but of course it varies by what size pan you use and how your oven works and things like that i also feel like it was a good base that you can customize it and put whatever Mm -hmm. you want into it once you realize if you like it or not so i highly recommend those yeah i always like a brownie a blondie that's always good Mm -hmm. And what recipes did you make? Sure. So I made, um, the the book I used was the Archibald Ladies Auxiliary's Book of Favorite Recipes from 1960. The recipe I made was um, a lemon cream cheese loaf cake. So it was um, 
a pretty standard sort of pound cake recipe. The ratio wasn't quite exact to a pound cake. It was a little less rich than a normal pound cake would be, especially from that era with, yeah. you know, they call it a pound cake because of the amount of ingredients and the ratio. This was a bit, um, I don't know if it's healthier because it's cake, but it, the ratio was a bit healthier, let's say, where it wasn't so full of sugar and fat and eggs and things. So um, it was a pretty simple recipe. One thing also that was kind of a, a symptom of it being from an older book was that it called for um, oleo, which oleo is a brand of margarine from way back when. I thought I would have margarine. I didn't. So I used butter, but that, of course, doesn't affect it. If anything, <laughs> butter will make it taste better. So that didn't affect it. Um the interesting part of this recipe was, um, so you mix together your cake batter, pretty standard kind of, you know, cream the butter and the sugar. You alternate your wet and dry ingredients once you've got that standard procedure. Um, then it had you take a block of cream cheese, cut it up into half-inch squares, and fold it into the batter, which I thought could have went either way. Um, so I did that. It was kind of a little messy if you were interested in something like that. Um, it might be beneficial to actually freeze the cream cheese first because just once you start cutting it, it becomes a little squishy and messy. But I baked it. Um, I also, you know, I I do this with anything I make. I kind of add my own little things. I did put a little um, demerara sugar on top, which is kind of helps it, gives it a nice crust on top. So there's a little bit of texture, which was not in the recipe, but... It's okay to experiment what yeah. you want. I think, you know, if you want to do something and it's not going to affect, it's not going to turn your cake into bread or something, mm -hmm. then do it. Um, so it came out okay. Um, it baked fine. I didn't have an issue with that. Um, when I took it out of the oven and then I, I, it did have a little kind of lemon juice soak afterwards. The lemon juice, it was uh, lemon juice and sugar, where the syrup just kind of got poured over the cake at the end. Um, I don't know if it was because of that or if it had something else to do with it. After I let it sit and cool to take it out of the loaf pan, um, it split in half. <laughs> so I did have a little problem with that. And then also, this is something that you really do have to let cool completely if you use it. Um, the combination of kind of the lemon cake, and it was, it was a sweet cake, um, with the cream cheese, it tasted almost like a soggy bagel when it was hot, when it was hot. Um, so this, once it was cooled and we actually refrigerated it, it's much better. And it's just, it's kind of a very good, like, um, almost like a breakfast dessert. If you're into breakfast dessert, I am. Um, I eat dessert any time of the day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but it was a fairly easy to follow recipe. Um, you know, like I said, I would not be afraid to adjust it. I would visit it again, and I might think about ways to do things with the cream cheese. I might whip the cream cheese with a little sugar first, just because the cake itself wasn't so sweet. I might add a little more lemon zest or something to kind of make the flavor better. But ultimately, it's a good base recipe, I think. And it was very easy to follow if you're somebody who's kind of, you know, looking to build your skills or just looking for something easy to make. It sounds very good. Well, except for... It being like a soggy bagel when it's warm right but sometimes but it that's, goes into the like yeah. breakfast aspect of it where right. you think cream cheese you think bagels yeah and that too you know patience is hard sometimes mm -hmm. but if you're patient and you let it cool completely you're not going to have that problem but that's just that's my patience problem with that <laughs> yeah i feel like that's everyone you're just like right. the baked goods come out of the oven and you're just like i want to try it and right. then it's 
just like that waiting game of you're like every five minutes you're like is it mm-hmm. cool yet right no like don't frost the cake too early or you're just gonna have melted butter everywhere. yeah <laughs> we also had another staff member brianna who has been on the podcast very frequently she made a pumpkin pudding cake from very good cooking and she reported back that it was good if unusual in structure and there was a pudding top that you don't have to refrigerate necessarily, and you just kind of serve it with it, but it was very good if it was a bit weird. Um, she did bring it in, and it was in the staff kitchen for a little bit, and it was very good. I tried a piece. Um, I didn't have the icing. I don't know if it's just because it's that pudding and it has to be made right there, um, or if I just missed where it was in the staff <laughs> kitchen, but it was very good. So if you want pumpkin, do that. I know it's kind of the end of pumpkin season when you think of pumpkins, but November is still a very fall month. Right. So and try that out. readily available in the grocery store. Yeah. Okay. And do you have any last thoughts? Um, Well, I did find it very interesting looking through these cookbooks. Um, Even if you're not a cook, I think it would be interesting just to go through them and kind of see. Because of the area we live in, I took just some quick notes as I was looking through. There were Hungarian, Jewish, Russian, Italian. There were even some like Spanish, French recipes. Um, So there's, you know, quite a bit of culture to be seen in the cookbooks, even if you're not interested in making anything, because you can still kind of go through and see you know, what's going on kind of culturally in the area. Um, and it's it's really interesting to see kind of the diverse populations. Um, and of course, we see that throughout the year, too, mm-hmm. with all kinds of festivals and things that go on. But it's interesting to see that it, it does go far back and it persists today. Um, the other things I thought that were so interesting is some of these older cookbooks um, are almost like lifestyle books. Yeah. So there were <laughs> things like... Um, Ways to use leftovers in there, which, of course, that's a common cookbook thing. But then going further in, there were things like spot removal guides for your laundry, how to get certain foods out if you accidentally get something on you at the table or something. Um, There were things like references about whooping cough and if you get the flu. So these are just, I think, really interesting resources that we have as part of our digital collection. And... That it's something that if you're interested, not only in the recipes, but in just kind of seeing, you know, a little glimpse into how people lived their lives. It's some time ago, right? Mm-hmm. We have a good section of years to look through. It's it's an interesting resource, and it's one that's worth checking out. I think going into that is a lot of the cookbooks that we do have digitized are collections from churches. Right. So the churches put them together and had members submit their recipes If you belong to any of the churches, you might see some of your family members' names in there because a lot of the cookbooks do have who submitted the... Yes. I know the recipe I made did have the person's name on it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be be another fun thing that might be... If you know it's your church, like Alyssa said, you can go through and see if any family members have recipes in them. Yes. Or if you know anyone... That still attends it today. <laughs> right. Yes, that would be that would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Talk to them about their recipe. Yeah, from... see them after <laughs> a service or something and say, "Oh, I made your cookie recipe." See if they remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast sure. today. Um, let us know if you try any of the recipes from the cookbooks. I will be putting the link in. The description of Facebook and then on 
our library website to where where to find the cookbooks on the Lackawanna Valley Digital Archive. Um, I also want to put out there that our next episode after this, we will not be having one next week because it is Thanksgiving and so the library is completely closed. But on December 1st, when the podcast returns, we are going to be having a book discussion on This Book Is Not About Benedict Cumberbatch by Tara Caravan. It is a very fun read and very much goes into fan culture and about finding something that you are passionate about. It was a very fascinating book, even though I am not a person who is obsessed with Benedict Cumberbatch, so it can be read by anyone. Um, and it's relatable to anyone. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or anything at all, please feel free to email me at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or call the library at 570-348-3000. Thank you. Bye.